OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Potvin. And let's please welcome Jacques Alexander Gerber. Agave Partner Capital. As our investor today, welcome, Jacques. It's a real pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you, Jeffrey. Pleasure meeting you, and thanks for having me. Super excited to have you here, man. There's so many great things that you've done over your career, and I love just unpacking all this great stuff. So we're going to jump right into it, and the best way for us to jump in is if you could share a little bit about your background all the way back to you know your school days in Lyon, to the startups, and to what you're doing today at uh, Gave Partner Capital. And we will uh, we'll jump in from there. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. All right. I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so back to Lyon. Wow, that's a while ago. <laughs> uh, I graduated as a computer scientist uh, in France, as uh, uh, everybody will hear from my accent. Um, and uh, actually, after that, I, uh, I, I went uh, on my military service that was still uh, required at the time uh, per French law. Uh, but you could do that as a civil servant for uh, French embassies or, or French companies around the world. And that led me to uh, go to Cairo, uh, Egypt, uh, where I worked for 18 months uh, on uh, educative programs uh, around French, of course. Um, and uh, as a computer scientist, I was uh, very happy to work on very innovative uh, online programs for uh, Egyptian teachers teaching French, which, uh, you know, back in the uh, mid-late 90s was, uh, you know, very uh, innovative. Uh, so it was a fantastic experience. I mention it because it was very formative for me to uh, spend so much time in, uh, in such a different, such foreign country uh, from a variety of reasons. Uh, that I really appreciated, uh, and I was really instrumental in, in my career, I think. Um, and uh, at the end of this, I was actually uh, called uh, by a friend of mine. We did our, we did our studies together. Uh, we had just arrived in uh, San Francisco, uh, and he called me pretty much out of the blue, saying, hey, Jacques, I'm in San Francisco. I've just started a company. We're doing some amazing thing. Uh, uh, you'll love it. Uh, uh, come on on board, uh, et cetera. And... Uh, I was not prepared for this. As a computer scientist, going to Silicon Valley was was a dream. So, uh, uh, you know, he forced me to to pay for my flight ticket to come visit him. So I said, okay, there's nothing to lose. So uh, I, I came there uh, with uh, with my uh, small suitcase to uh, check it out. And uh, almost 25 years later, I'm still in San Francisco area. <laughs> um, so that's how it started. Uh, we started this company uh, called Intalio. Uh, and it was started back in 1998, uh, um, end of 98. I joined uh, end of 99, um, and uh, initially as a software engineer. Uh, and then very quickly, we had uh, a first uh, client. We are not ready for that. We were developing a lot of technologies where, you know, a bunch of, uh, of nerds uh, writing code um, and nobody for many business or sales experience. Uh, and then a client, uh, we did a, a lot of open source projects, so we became pretty visible on, online. And some companies were starting uh, pinging us about those technologies and what they mean, how to use them, etc. And then we got a client willing to pay us to uh, to get services. Uh, and so one of us had to 
go check it out and help that customer. And, and that was me. Uh, and that's how I moved from software development to, uh, to the business side, uh, where I actually uh, spent most of my career. Uh, so we, we developed that uh, company together. Uh, it uh, grew uh, pretty significantly. You can imagine that, you know, being starting 2000, we went through a lot of uh, ups and downs. You know, we went through the uh, dot-com crash, uh, 9-11, uh, you know, uh, uh, resuming businesses after that, uh, even the financial crisis that was not as extreme, but still in 2007, 2008, uh, did many rounds of financing, uh, raised quite a bit of capital through uh, history. Um, and uh, and develop the business internationally. Uh, in 2012, uh, we had 1,500 clients in 65 countries. Uh, I was managing all the, the business side, uh, so sales, technical support, etc., growing pretty well, um, and uh, and starting to negotiate really significant contracts with really big companies. And the uh, the board decided, found that at the time. Uh, it was probably the right time to uh, to do an exit. They had been supporting the company for uh, you know 13 years at that point in time, um, and some for a very long time. Some investors were more recently, of course, at board, and they thought it was a good time to uh, to leverage those um, um, discussions and those partnerships to uh, to negotiate an exit. Uh, it was less interesting for us. We had been with the company for uh, you know 12, 13 years. Uh, we had very small uh, percentages of uh, the shareholding, uh, given that we've been diluted many, many times. Uh, so, you know, it was not very exciting to do that. So uh, we left the company uh, more or less willingly and uh, started a new company uh, that we called actually a stoic in reference to the uh, uh, stoic uh, philosophy. You know, that tells you that uh, when things don't go your way you uh, and it's not in your control, you, you can just live through it and, uh, and learn the, the good out of it and try to, to make better from it. So uh, I can make a pause here if you have some questions, but that's how we are. Uh, uh, we left our first company and started our second company. We were in um, 2012 then, and uh, and of course it was a very different story than when we started our first company because we had uh, 12 years of experience, we had raised funding before, we had developed relationships, especially in Silicon Valley. Uh, we knew what it meant to uh, do uh, software. Uh, so, you know, it was a very, very different story. So we had no problem uh, getting capital very quickly, uh, hiring uh, the best resources at the time, uh, having uh, the right uh, uh, processes and methodologies to develop software. Um, and uh, we worked on, on ideals that uh, came to us through our experience very, very quickly. So, 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 so bootstrapping and, and finding what we wanted to do was much, much, much easier the second time given the experience we had from the first time. Um, and so we started working on, on, on an idea uh, of uh, uh, bringing um, simple tools. Uh, the ideas we had really, Jeffrey, was that as computer scientists, we found that computer scientists had done a pretty bad job at really supporting business people. Uh, you know, we, we've spent, uh, businesses have spent enormous amount of money in IT. Uh, but at the end of the day, does it really help them? Of course it does. There are a lot of things, nothing we couldn't do without those systems, but especially big companies, IT departments have become an, enormous, really hard to manage. And the, the value for the business is not so always obvious. So, and we thought that was a contradiction here because 
automation, computer science should be there to really make your life easier, to automate things and to let you focus on the good things and, and not get in the way, right? So so we thought that, you know, the, the, we, we didn't uh, quite, as computer scientists, we didn't quite achieve on that promise of really making uh, uh, the world much better and, and, and easier to manage for business, not having to think about a lot of of, of things they don't want to, to spend time on. And uh, so we worked around those ideals of, of bringing the, the best of what computers could bring, but make it really accessible to, to business people with uh, removing lots of the struggles that you have in, in IT systems. Um, and we came up with, a, with, a, with an online solutions, uh, targeting business users, uh, doing very sophisticated things. Uh, and we played with uh, quite a few people. We did something pretty innovative at the time. Again, it was in, uh, uh, early 2013. We actually ran a Kickstarter campaign um, and uh, not to raise capital or, or to sell a product as uh, you know, most of those campaigns were. And as a software company, we had not found any software company doing that outside of gaming era, certainly not for business. But our goal was actually to, uh, to get access to an early adopters community that wanted to be very early on uh, involved in our project. Uh, and willing to prove so by actually uh, you know, giving us a little bit of money to put some skin in the game. As I mentioned earlier, we had done a lot of open source projects. So we had done a lot of projects involving people who are involved in those projects, but at no cost to them. Um, it has a lot of benefits, but also a lot of inconvenience. You get a lot of noise, you get a lot of people who are involved just because it's free. Uh, and not because they are really, you know, involved personally into it. And one way to get people really personally involved is to ask them to put their own money into it. So we didn't ask for much, you know, in Kickstarter, anybody can put any uh, amount of money they want. Some, some people just put 10 bucks in there. Some people put a few thousand dollars. Uh, but we raised, I believe, uh, $60,000 from uh, about 300 people. And that gave us a committee of 300 paying users for a product that didn't exist yet uh, and spending you know, the remaining of the year working with us to, to build that product together. That was a fascinating, you know, fantastic uh, experience. Uh, we built a fantastic technology uh, demonstrating the ability to uh, uh, perform some typical functions you do in Excel, uh, but imagine Excel with billions of lines of rows in your spreadsheet. I'm not even talking, you know, hundreds of thousands, but, but billions of them. Uh, and doing it as naturally, as fast as you're doing it in Excel when you have, you know, just a few hundreds of lines. And, and I was, uh, you know, unbelievable, never seen before at the time. And we thought about, you know, who could use such a technology to, to, to process uh, so much computing um, uh, capacity on so much data. Uh, at the time. And uh, we talked to different people we think would be good candidates, in particular banks, and uh, they were very receptive. And we were able to very quickly sign contracts with very big banks. And, uh, and those uh, you know, paid us to, to finish building a product on the promise that we could help them, help their users, you know, who are bankers, traders, risk managers, people like that, uh, uh, perform the same type of computation they do in Excel, but on much, much larger data sets. Um, and uh, we delivered on that promise with a very impressive uh, product. Uh, we, um, uh, of course, I initially worked back on the engineering side of it, developing some of the product. And then once we had uh, that uh, working, 
uh, and, and involving uh, customers. Then I shifted hat to uh, focus on the delivery side to customers and acquiring customer base and, and, and delivering projects. And of course, hiring the team to do that. Uh, and so we very quickly had uh, quite a few engagements, uh, very exciting stuff. And uh, something very um, uh, interesting happened then. Uh, the, the customers, big banks, told us because we were showing impressive performance. Uh, we were you know, basically a thousand times faster than any competition compared to any tools that banks had tried. And, and believe me, bankers try a lot of tools uh, homemade and, and elsewhere uh, to get an energy on their competition. And uh, so they tried a lot of things, but we were you know, much, much, much faster. And, and you know, for a bank, being able to uh, process information, to give you some ideas of where the market can go, what risk you're taking uh, a thousand times faster is, is huge. It's, it's really uh, existential. Uh, so they were fascinated by that. That's why we could uh, sign uh, interesting engagement so quickly and, and so interesting. But then they told us, and that's the fascinating thing, is that uh, for them, speed was of the essence. Uh, and if we could go even 10 times, 100 times, another 1,000 times faster, they would always have money to spend uh, to, 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 to go faster and, and competing more data ever faster. And then we said, well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, we, we'd love, but, you know, we are trying to do some very innovating stuff in, in software. Uh, I don't want to go into the technical details, but could if necessary. But, but I was pretty extreme on, on that path and said, we don't see how we can go 10 times faster, you know, maybe two times, three times, but, but not more than that. At least on existing um, hardware architecture with standard computers, we are using standard, you know, PCs, uh, either on, on desks or in data centers, uh, and, and that was out of our control. Uh, but in our software, we had developed some specific understanding of the type of computation that we are doing and, and what was expensive in processing big data sets in, in that manner. And we thought that uh, you know, if, if we had uh, computers better designed for that kind of uh, computation we do, uh, designed for big data sets, maybe we could do faster. I said, well, that's very interesting. Uh, we, we'd love you to, to work on that. So we negotiated a, a contract where they basically paid us for R&D, a six-month contract, to think about a different type of hardware architecture uh, that could enable uh, such a speed on big data sets. Um, and in fact, after six months, we found something very interesting, some really good ideas. We talked to a hardware specialist. Uh, as computer scientists, we had a good understanding of hardware conceptually, uh, but not any experiments actually uh, building or, or developing very uh, low-level technology. So, so we uh, we talked to people who had that expertise, uh, worked with them, uh, and defined an idea and, and something to prove it, and showing that yeah, we could probably do something very interesting. And then we we created a new company because you know we were still a, a young software company. Uh, adding hardware on top of very advanced uh, software is, uh, is probably not the best advice for an entrepreneur, and maybe we'll talk about that later on. Uh, so we, um, we created a new company um, called Fermat, and, and then uh, uh, as my partner continued on, on developing Stoic, uh, uh, I took over the management of uh, Fermat uh, to take it off the ground. Uh, so, uh, so building the team, uh, getting the roadmap uh, secured, uh, getting a first version, getting first uh, uh, clients and, and partners to, to work on, 
bringing you know uh, the right co-founders to to make it work um and uh, did that for some time and then we are then in uh, in 2017 uh, so i had been uh, you know developing startup companies for almost 20 years uh, and now at uh, the realm with my co-founders of, of a new young uh, companies that was now going to market and needed to grow. Uh, and I felt like I needed to do something a little bit different. Uh, I was not uh, so excited anymore to uh, go again into, uh, you know, five to 10 years of development of, of a short company. I had done that. I'd been there. And, and really what uh, changed my mind is, uh, which can be interesting for, uh, for entrepreneurs uh, listening to us, is that when you're uh, running uh, your uh, startup company, uh, you're extremely focused and you see uh, the world entirely through the lenses of your company and everything else disappears. You have no idea whatsoever and you don't want to spend any of your brand cells thinking about uh, other fields that are remote to you. you know, everything that's connected, of course, you want to follow your competition, your market and technologies and innovation around your space and you become an expert in those. But anything else that goes beyond, you have no idea what's going on uh, and you don't have time for it. And, uh, and I found that, you know, after almost 20 years, a bit frustrating that I knew so much about certain fields where I focused my, my energy and, and my intellect and know nothing about everything else that was going on in the world. Uh, and I was get, becoming a little bit frustrating. Uh, I was getting... Uh, really uh, thirsty to uh, hear about other entrepreneurs and their ideas and what they're doing and what are the problems they're facing and how they're solving them. Uh, and I wanted to basically share my experience in uh, developing startup companies uh, with entrepreneurs that were starting their own journeys doing different things. And I saw it as an exchange. You know, they, they would educate me on, on what's going on in the world uh, and I would help them, you know, avoiding some of the loopholes and challenges and, and, and mistakes that you make as an entrepreneur. And believe me, we've made a lot of mistakes as entrepreneurs, uh, uh, learning from them. Uh, but uh, there are some that are better to avoid when you know upfront about them. So I, I uh, decided to, to shift gears a little bit, uh, took a little bit of time to find the right way of doing that, uh, starting a little bit of a freelance business to talk to, to companies and, and found a lot of interested entrepreneurs willing to, to work with me. Until I met uh, uh, my partner uh, uh, today, uh, his name is Robert Troy, who's uh, uh, also a former entrepreneur, but uh, mostly a venture capitalist and investment banker. And, uh, and he was uh, uh, running Agavi Partners, which at the time was uh, an investment bank. Uh, and what we were doing is uh, helping high-tech companies grow internationally by developing strategic partnerships with uh, bigger companies that are already established in the business, which is one way companies can really accelerate their growth uh, because building your own global sales and marketing uh, uh, arm can be uh, very uh, challenging, can take a lot of time, a lot of capital, uh, and you have to go against you know, com established competitions that, uh, that is already, you know, as a lot of money and, and, and ways to, to win you uh, on the business. So, so it's very hard to do. And it can be sometimes uh, best for companies to uh, uh, be connected with a company that's already in the market, already has the customer relationship, already has the, the support and sales and marketing resources uh, to access the, the market. So we are facilitating that. Uh, the best way to do that, uh, uh, and again, is, is to have the uh, the bigger company putting some skin in the game. So there's always a financial transaction involved. 
uh, it can take different shapes. It can be a, a, an investment, it can be a outright acquisition, it can be joint venture. It can be staged on a multi-year program where eventually the, the bigger company will acquire the smaller ones, but not right away. Uh, and we were advising companies on, on, on their uh, strategy to attract the best partner for them, uh, to have the right uh, traction to build what's really interest of developing the company. So, so we did uh, a lot of transactions like that, taking mandates from the high-tech company to access global markets. And we did a lot of that in China, actually, because uh, in those years, it's changed a little bit in the past uh, few years. But uh, uh, China was, of course, uh, a very fast-growing market, a huge market, uh, becoming you know the second, if not the first market for certain areas, certainly today, the first market for many high-tech areas. So not a market that you know entrepreneurs today could uh, ignore. Um, and uh, but accessing it uh, is very difficult for our Western companies. Uh, they don't have the, the skills, the knowledge, the expertise, uh, and uh, we were bringing that that capacity. So we took quite a few companies uh, to China very successfully uh, in the form of JV, uh, you know, uh, investment and and uh, and acquisitions. Um, and uh, and then we had another frustration, which is that in that process, uh, we were um, creating a lot of value for, for the companies we were representing. Uh, but most of the value would come after that uh, transactions takes place, thanks to that transaction. Uh, and we were only interested, of course, in that transaction. Uh, which is nice, but you know, it's a little bit frustrating because you, you know, especially as former entrepreneurs, we kind of want to see what the company does after it signed those contracts and 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 continue supporting it. Uh, but we couldn't do that as a, as a, as an investment banker, uh, and that's what took us to uh, to venture capitalism, which was natural for my partner because he had been a VC before. Uh, uh, less for me because I had never been a VC uh, before. I've worked a lot with VCs, obviously, but uh, but always from the uh, other side. Uh, and and that was uh, quite of a challenge to, for me to 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 adapt to that. But I had a great mentor with uh, with my partner, and for the past uh, year and a half, we've been focused exclusively on on venture capital. Uh, we do it in a in a slightly non traditional way, even though that's becoming more and more common. Uh, instead of uh, having a a whole fund, uh, and then we decide uh, how to invest money from that fund to different opportunities along the way. Uh, we kind of do the opposite. We do uh, what are called SPVs, uh, which means special purpose investment vehicles. And we raise fund to invest in one specific uh, round of financing. So each time we, we spend a lot of time sourcing deals, obviously educating ourselves on the opportunity, qualifying them. And when we uh, convince ourselves, yeah, that would be a great opportunity, then we establish a fund, a small fund, and we raise money for that fund only to participate in that round of financing. Uh, that uh, allows us to, uh, um, uh, to look at many more companies uh, not being dependent on the strategy of a whole fund. We are completely free to, uh, to, to do what we want from a deal to another, uh, as long as we manage, of course, to, to raise the funds to invest. Um, and, uh, and of course, it uh, enables us to, uh, to access investors and discuss with them in the context of a very specific deal, which is a different discussion than when you raise a, a traditional fund. Uh, it also allows us to uh, participate in later stage companies because we found that based on our experience in development, our best value add is, is when companies need to, to grow, need to scale up, 
So they already have a, a, a product, they already have revenue, they already have clients, and it's about scaling up the business. And at that point, uh, especially in the past few years, companies are typically, especially in Silicon Valley, pretty expensive. So the round of financing are pretty significant, the valuation are pretty significant. So if you want to participate, you need to build uh, you know, pretty significant tickets. Um, and uh, so, so that allows us to participate with with uh, in, into bigger round of financing with bigger participations than if we were to, to raise a traditional fund. So, so that's what we're doing. Uh, we are focusing, uh, our, our main topic is uh, the big topic of energy transition, um, which impacts everything uh, in our world, uh, in industries, you know, from uh, mobility to uh, uh, data centers, uh, to uh, healthcare and, and whatnot. So it's, it's really uh, diverse in terms of uh, industries. But it's all about, you know, the, the new technologies that help us uh, shift the way uh, we live uh, to, to have a, a bigger impact on the environment, on society, on our life, on, the, on our health, uh, etc. That's what we're really uh, excited about. Uh, that's the kind of companies we focus on. Love it, Jacques. That's amazing. That was uh, a great dialogue. And now we're going to try to dive into some of this. Uh, I wanted to share, though, one thing that, um, oh, one thing about you that no one would know. Then we're going to dive into all of this. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, there are not many things nobody knows about me because I'm pretty uh, uh, public and open at what I do, et cetera. But uh, uh, something uh, uh, um, uh, pretty cool uh, that I've done in the years I was in Egypt uh, with a bunch of friends, we spent uh, three days uh, hiking in Sinai. Uh, and uh, you have to understand that uh, Egypt at the time, it's the case as well today, even though a lot of things happen in between, uh, is a military country. It's not an open country. Uh, the whole country is military, so uh, everything is protected by, by the army. Uh, and even uh, maps were forbidden because maps is a uh, military secret. Um, so, uh, uh, so interestingly, uh, we had a map, but it was a map that got, went back to the 60s late 60s when uh, Sinai was part of Israel. So we had an Israeli map from the late 60s to find our way in the middle of, of Sinai Desert. Uh, and, uh, and, and we are there for three days. And a lot of interesting things happen. One is that at some point, we had actually two maps, or one uh, right to inverse one. They're very old, you know, we couldn't see very well on them. And after a day and a half, we didn't realize that the second map was actually on a different scale. And uh, all the distances were actually uh, uh, twice bigger than we thought we were compared to the first map. So, so a lot of uh, crazy things happened during that trip uh, in a country where, you know, there was no GPS, no cell phone, no nothing. And uh, uh, you don't want to, 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 to be completely lost because you could really uh, die there. So it was very eventful, uh, but uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Very cool story. And I'm a huge fan of Egypt. Uh, I did spend some time uh, not too long ago traveling through there, and there's so many uh, amazing areas to visit. And I guess doing it with a 1960s map would really add a little extra flavor into it. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, we're going to jump back a few things and, and back to some earlier uh, kind of the startup side that you worked in. One that really interested me is the, the business that you're, of course, uh, building out these billion lines of uh, Excel side. One of our investors, his name is Rene Pardo. And actually, Rene was the one that created this 
the spreadsheet digitally back to 1960s. So I think he sold it. I'm guessing he must have sold it at some point to Microsoft or whoever picked that up. But I thought that was pretty cool because I saw a video of him the other day talking about that. So it, it's a pretty fascinating space and, and pretty cool on obviously what you did. So, but when you were putting this all together and, and you were going in it from the, the development side and switching over to the product side, uh, how did you find that transition went? And did you find yourself, you said you've been in, obviously now moved to and been from Cairo to now being in San Francisco for a good, well, 30 years, 20, 30 years. When you transitioned over to the business side, did you miss coding? Do you miss that side of business? Because it is an element, but uh, what do you find you're more comfortable in? And, and what did you really gain from that switch? Did you find that it's just allowed you to better see into what developers are working for and what they see on their side versus what? you're looking at and, and what some of the learnings that you got from that transition yeah uh, that was very interesting uh, uh, uh yes there, there is there was sometimes some frustration and uh, and still today every once in a while i feel myself like uh, oh you know coding is fun and, and i like to do something uh but uh, as time goes you know you lose your skills and and, and i get uh, a more and more terrible uh, developer uh, uh back in the in those days um um two things one is that uh, I was overwhelmingly uh, excited about uh, going outside of my cubicle and spending time with real people talking about their problems and how IT could deliver them solutions. And it was a surprise to me because I was more of a shy person. I was very comfortable in my cubicle with my computer and happy not having to talk to too many people. Uh, so, so I had to go you know, in a, outside of my zone of comfort. Uh, but I was surprised at what I discovered and, and how uh, fun it was uh, to do that. So, so that, that completely, and, and I tend to be more of an of a optimistic and positive person and, and like to see what I appreciate in, in new experiences and forget uh, about the rest. So that was really the, what I retained most from, from that experience. Uh, it was not uh, uh, also uh, uh, completely uh, all or nothing in terms of, of development skills. Uh, because obviously, uh, initially, uh, when working with those clients, there was a lot of technical work involved um, and work that we had no resources to do, uh, that the clients could not do because they didn't have the knowledge of the technology. So I was essentially, uh, you know, for, uh, for initially, at least, I was essentially uh, an outsource developer for clients uh, doing the connection between our technologies, our engineers, and the client. So I was you know, really in between uh, the two worlds uh, and I loved being in that position. Um, and so it was a smooth transition and until we hired the first salesperson, was an amazing person. Uh, he, he was one of the top salespeople on, on the West, had worked with a really big company like Oracle and SAP and, and, and had been awarded for, for his success for those companies uh, in, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, and uh, and I went around the world with him, uh, pitch our product, uh, competing against others, doing proof of concept, etc. Uh, and I saw him in action, and I was really impressed by uh, how a salesperson can can pitch and convince others, and uh, uh, read how uh, uh, clients perceive uh, our presentations, our offering uh, in a competitive environment, uh, and take advantage of it to uh, to best position our product. That was fascinating, uh, and that's you know over a period of two years how I learned the the business and sales skills that I didn't have from from education. So so uh, the transition was uh, 
relatively smooth because it was initially a, still a very technical job and it just you know became uh, more business oriented with uh, you know the facilitation of a, of a sales person who basically became a mentor for me as I learned those skills. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting because I also did the same in early 2000s transition from being a developer to on the business side. And I remember one person asked me one time, they said, you know, do you like it better? And I, I liked actually the development side better. I won't lie because I enjoyed the zoning out and working for days on problems. But the difference was is that a problem on tech, I would say it can take you anywhere from one to three to five days to solve a problem. But on business, I felt like you could solve it in a matter of minutes or, or moments. It was never elongated. It was always something you could solve quickly. So I think the difference for me is that on the code side, it took a lot longer to fix things than it did on the business side. So I just enjoyed the transition that I could solve things quicker and be more productive than I felt where I was days on code. So I, I guess as you started to progress, you also mentioned a lot of great parts here where in your transition, everybody was a mentor to you. So you mentored into capital or into venture. You you ventured into um, mentored into uh, on the business side. So there's always this mentoring part that's really driven yes. and helped you progress forward. And to almost go back a little bit more again, but it's during that time where you mentioned that there was three major issues that you kind of went through as a business. And the reason I bring this up is because today people are going through COVID and you had to manage through, uh, as you mentioned, 911com bust, and then the financial crisis. Can you share a little bit about maybe, you know, one, two, three points on what you had to go through in order to balance these out because you have ups and downs normally in business, but you don't exactly have an entire economy crash in dot-com. And then of course, 9-11, you had the same thing, which was pretty much almost identical to dot-com uh, crash. And then the financial crisis was a little bit different. I think that was just more of a slower recession, but what were right. a couple of points that really stood out and how did you guys prepare yourselves for the next one? So that it didn't occur again, or at least that you were in a better position for it. Yeah, uh, actually I quickly uh, uh, use what you just said. That was the, the biggest lesson is to, uh, to learn to be prepared for the next thing that's going to hit you. And when you don't expect it. And, and that's uh, uh, another mentor who's been a, uh, uh, an investor in all three of our companies and business angel uh, who, uh, who told us that uh, that um, that listen that uh, you know in business especially when you're a startup uh, even if you do the best job and you do everything right uh, which almost never happens uh, uh, something is going to hit you six months down the road and uh, and what are you doing to be ready for it? And and it's it's really hard to think about that because you don't have time for for that when you're in startup. You know, it's like uh, being a cyclist and you know looking just in front of you and and making sure not going to hit a small uh, gravel on the road that could uh, take you uh, off road. Uh, but uh, uh, and you don't have the luxury of bigger companies to think you know strategy and uh, inertia of economy and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, in reality, those things happen as well. There's a lot of things that. That, uh, move around you that you have no control of. Those are huge forces, and uh, and they're going to catch up with you one day or another. So, so what do you do to be prepared for that? Uh, uh, and and that's a very big challenge that I think all entrepreneurs uh, have to face all all of the time. And maybe we we'll get back to that. But to go back to your questions and and those uh, big challenges, uh, the challenge there, uh, and then maybe I'll have a, a small digression on 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 COVID uh, crisis. Uh, but uh, the 
the key there was was about uh, financing really uh, obviously uh, as a company uh, doing uh, big projects we were uh, burning uh, cash uh, every month uh, so we were dependent on venture capital to continue developing the company uh, we uh, we wanted to grow uh, fast we were pushed by our investors to to grow fast you know it's all about capturing the market as quickly as possible so you're not you know taking money from venture capital to let it sit uh, in the bank you're spending it uh, and you're spending as quickly as possible to go as fast as possible. And, and the problem is that when a crisis hit like this, uh, well, all of a sudden you are not, you don't have the financial resources to, uh, uh, to, to maybe survive that crisis. So what happens there, the, 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 the double edge or the double um, uh, problems we face is that one, uh, you're running out of capital but two, uh, uh, your investors are also running out of capital. The venture capitalists you would go normally to when you need capital are no longer picking the phone. They no longer have any cash. In fact, they're in crisis mode. They're closing down their portfolio companies. Uh, uh, our main investor uh, that had uh, you know, over 100 companies under its portfolio uh, closed every single of its companies and IFRMM except ours. We're the single company that didn't close at the time. Uh, for for that venture capital uh, group, uh, that's 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 a big VC in Silicon Valley that's still uh, operating today. So that was very brutal. You know, companies were closing, VC funds were closing. Uh, those who were not closing had no money whatsoever. If they had, they were keeping it for you know the top comp few top companies they had and that they thought would be able to survive the crisis. So it was really really hard. And in fact, we found ourselves with. Uh, uh, less than two weeks uh, of cash left. Uh, one of our founders um, had uh, an exit before from a previous company and had a little bit of money on the side uh, and took on his own money to pay for an extra week so we could cover uh, employees' salary and not lay off any people to give us an extra week. But basically had three weeks to find money or shut down the company. Um, and we had talked to every VCs we, we knew about, every uh, banks we could think about uh, to uh, get some loads, et cetera, uh, with running out of option. There was one investor, uh, one uh, angel, uh, that was very interested to work with us for a long time. Uh, but uh, our board was not very keen on, on having us working with him for whatever reasons we never fully understood. Um, and was uh, and, and we, uh, we thought well you know this guy he always wanted to invest and uh, uh, you know maybe he, he can do something and uh, and we actually had to spend a bit of time convincing the board they, they were against us doing that said but you know I, I don't know what else to do uh, and uh, we went there and uh, after some effort to convince the board to do that and he put some money and he put the money within a, a few days uh, and that really saved the company. But I was really, you know, we are really at the end of the rope. It could have gone uh, either way. Uh, and we were lucky that it worked pretty well. Um, and that was the hardest time we, we had for, for the company right at that time. Um, but, uh, but we managed to, to, to get out uh, very successfully. So, um, so that was a, a very positive. So, so that's, that's what happened uh, in those days. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, COVID uh, and interesting things because you know everybody uh, uh, seems to be discovering uh, what it's like to work from home. Uh, but all the companies have done, we hired people uh, uh, globally, uh, tech people the best we could. We didn't care where they were located. So most of our um, uh, employees were working from home. Uh, 
and, and one of the skills we developed was to how do you manage companies uh, where you know all of your employees are remote? They almost never meet, uh, or very few of them. We always had had an headquarters with some uh, core, you know, the management and some uh, you know local people to be there. But sometimes even key managers were not at headquarters; were in a very remote area. So we always had from the get go to manage teams that were distributed, that rely on their own uh, home infrastructure to work with us. Uh, using uh, you know all kind of, of tools, uh, Zoom didn't invent a, a, a web conference. It's just a, a better tool, easier tool to do it. But it was possible even in the early 2000s. Uh, and uh, and it turns out that it was a great skill because you know when COVID hits uh, and you have to adapt to that, well, you you've already done it. And that's back to that that what you were saying earlier about you know how do you do uh, when something like that happens when COVID happens. How are you equipped? And uh, and it can be uh, very very hard if you don't have the, uh, uh, the the right process, the right methodology to be uh, agile enough to adapt to the circumstances. Uh, it can be a, a life or death uh, issue. For sure, and and I guess if you tie in the ag- the uh, agility part or being agile, I think that you guys were able to obviously meet that. And obviously, this was heavily influenced by capital. How would you recommend companies start to protect themselves? Is that looking at their runway a lot tighter? And instead of being profitable in 18 months, they try to keep their profitability levels anywhere between, say, five and six months. So that this way, if something does happen, they're not uh, far off from reducing and getting to break even. So they're not overburning or that uh, they've already been planning their next raise. What what kind of key insights can you share that would prevent them from being down to week two or down to week three without any capital? Yeah, it's a very hard judgment call to make because uh, being too safe is also not, not a good option. You know, that means slowing things down. And if you slow down and you have a good opportunity, uh, you, the competition will take advantage of it. So so you want to, to, to go fast. Uh, you want to mitigate risks, but... Uh, 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 you know, being too safe is taking a risk, right? So, uh, so you also have to 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 balance that, and that's that's a very very difficult thing to to challenge. Uh, there's no uh, uh, silver bullet answer to that. Uh, the, the one thing I can say is that you know, uh, economy typically goes in cycles. Uh, there are some some boom years and and some really tough years. Uh, it looks like we're entering a, a difficult uh, time, and, and numbers for the first quarters uh, are showing a, a big decrease in uh, in, in capital uh, investment. Uh, there is some inertia in the system, so it's not going to happen right away. Uh, but uh, you know, it might be time to think about uh, buckling up for for some companies. So so if you can try to get a sense of 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 how those economic cycles are evolving. Uh, and then you know that you know in a in a, in a bullish market, uh, it's probably a good idea to to spend. And you know, capital is easy to get and it's cheap to get, so you want to go as fast as as possible. But when you see signs that things are changing, and you know nobody can predict the future, so you can be wrong on those signs, uh, and that can be a problem. Uh, but when you see those, then you want to maybe uh, have a bigger cushion and be uh, and be uh, you know uh, careful of what you do. Uh, one rule of thumb that I learned from another mentor uh, who's a, a business angel and invested our, our companies very early on uh, is that you know when you get cash on the table from investors, take the money. Uh, and uh, sometimes we want to optimize too much, uh, you know, avoiding dilution, uh, not getting too much capital, uh, et cetera. 
And there are plenty of examples of people who are massively successful and, and protecting interest that way. So, so that's by no means not, I'm by no means saying you should not do this. Uh, but one thing that can sometimes make your life easier back to the problems we're talking about is that you know, when you have money, when you have uh, people willing to put money, take the money, even if it's mean taking more money that you really need. Uh, you know, that extra money can make the difference between you surviving or not surviving the next crisis. Well, that's some uh, that's some very valuable advice. And uh, sometimes we look too much at wanting to have the right investor in versus having investors in that can help support you regardless and just being able to utilize them better instead of looking at them that they're just uh, uh, bad money or not the right capital. All capital is good. You just have to figure out how to utilize it and work with the people that are putting it in. Uh, but that's great advice. Uh, well, there is a few other things that I would love to unpack, but due to the time, we're going to kind of shift things a little bit. We're probably going to have to do a, a number two follow-up interview because, again, lots of great stuff on all the things you've done and tremendous uh, background, of course, and, and working in startups and now investing. Um, but maybe the maybe I will ask one more question just for the, the timing side uh, because I want to break through the all of the myths, the myths and the BS and all this other stuff that comes from what do later stage VCs really look for? What do they need in order to make an investment? So let's just say real quickly, I'm a series A company moving into series B. You're going to get ready to invest. You have an interest somewhere in that series B, C area. What things do a startup need to be ready for uh, to be able to have you step at the table and make that large investment that's going to help them move their business forward? Maybe two or three points that you think are, are going to help them clearly understand better what they need to be doing. Yeah, uh, actually, there's four. So there are four pillars for us we look at that, you know, I think everybody will tell you about, but we look at all four very deeply and we want to have great answers to them. And by great answers, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. Uh, we expect every company to have some weaknesses, uh, but uh, what we don't like is companies who don't know their weaknesses or are in denial of their weaknesses or hide their weaknesses uh, or, or try to, to, to uh, you know, make too much of a marketing work in trying to uh, uh, you know, paint a big, better picture than it really, really is. That's, that's you know, we, we normally find it uh, and that uh, impacts the trust we have in, in the team uh, when, we, when we see that. So the four pillars for us are in no specific order because they are equally important. Uh, but maybe the last one uh, is the most important. Uh, one is the market. You know, uh, what's your market? What's the market of competi uh, What's your market opportunity? Uh, how do you differentiate? What's the competitive landscape, etc.? And you don't have to be the best one. There are so many examples where the ultimate winner was the number two or the number three. Uh, it might even be a rule that you don't want to be <laughs> number one, uh, given how often that happens. So you don't have to be the best, but you have to, to know uh, where you are, what you're playing with, what are your strengths and weaknesses, and, and how that plays out. We need to have a clear picture on that. Um, uh, the, the second one uh, is the product and technology. What's your product? Uh, what, how is it differentiated? What's really unique about it? Where's your IP? How do you defend it? That's, of course, you know, uh, uh, typically where we, we start. Okay, we, we usually start with that. If we don't see that very quickly, we, we pass. We are not uh, interested in companies that don't have a clear, unique value that nobody else, you know, uh, is uh, apparently bringing. Um, a third thing, obviously, that's very important is the finance at that stage. 
uh, you are in operation, uh, what's the health of your finances, what's your business plan, uh, how is it built, what are the assumptions behind them, uh, do they make sense, are you in control of them, uh, what happens if they don't go the way you expect, and we go very deep into analyzing those financial models. Uh, it's not unusual for us to rebuild our own model uh, before we invest, uh, to, from our perspective, see if, uh, if it can really work and, and operate, regardless of how it's presented by the company. Last, and, and I think not only not least, but uh, maybe probably the most important is the team, is the people. Uh, because at the end, and that's my experience in everything, you know, if you try to summarize everything we talked about today, uh, Jeffrey, uh, I think that's really uh, the, the big lesson. It's all about people. Everything you do, whether it's... Uh, you know, the, the coding, the, the business side, selling, raising capital, uh, developing company, uh, inventing new technologies. At the end, it's, it's you know, we are, we are people. Uh, we work together. We do that for uh, each other and we depend on each other. And it's all about uh, the, the people. So the quality of the executing team, uh, who they are, uh, do they have what it takes to take the company to the next level? If they don't, are they aware of it? And are they willing to hire the right resources that are going to make the difference? Or are they in denial? Are they going to be uh, obstructive to uh, hire the right talent that could really make the difference? Those are essential things that, that we look into it. So we look at all of those sorts of things. They're all extremely important. And uh, we don't invest if we don't have good answers to all of those four things. And again, a good answer doesn't mean that the company has nailed it, uh, but it means that uh, you know, we know what the challenges are. We, we know that there is a way to address them and we're confident the company can can take the right decisions to uh, to address those uh, those uh, risks. I love it. Those are four great points. And from that, I'm going to uh, say every investor should look at this, and startups should really focus on this, especially when they start to get to that Series A. Come up with clean books, understand your model, understand your markets, uh, and build great people into what you're doing because that's what's going to help you and scale uh, quite quickly is having the right people running the right lines of business to uh, to help you grow. Uh, so again, drop great, great value, great points. Thank you for that. We're going to transition now into kind of storytelling time, but uh, maybe there's some, um, you can share a story about in your past, either through your own experience or through uh, others that you're, that you work with. Um, any companies that um, you can share that really took an understanding to what it takes to be an entrepreneur, you know, she or he went really above and beyond and you thought they were going to fail or you thought it wasn't going to work out and you made the investment and they just took off like a rocket ship. And, you know, you're, you're proud of that entrepreneur. Is there a story that kind of lines up to, uh, to that uh, ideal? Well, there are, there are many uh, amazing entrepreneurs, and I get to meet some uh, every day. Uh, just uh, a few hours ago, because still early in, in California, I was uh, uh, a jury uh, at a pitch day uh, where we listened to uh, a selection of uh, uh, 18 uh, uh, entrepreneurs presenting uh, their projects. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple were not that good, but uh, the most uh, majority of them were and uh, were very impressive. I also had a chance to to attend uh, to your uh, OPN uh, last uh, uh, pitch session. I think you had 46 companies there. Uh, and it's, it's amazing the, the, the diversity of, of people, of ideals, of projects, of problems they think about and they solve. So, so I, I continue to be, uh, you know, even though I've been doing that for a long time. 
I'm still surprised every day uh, to to meet uh, entrepreneurs with uh, with fascinating uh, ideas and, and new things. Um, so so it's hard to uh, to take one. Uh, I I I would think uh, the, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question uh, is actually uh, um, the the latest investment we've made. Uh, it's a, it's a company called IR Labs. Uh, it's really deep technology. Uh, they had 10 years of uh, research, uh, mostly at, at MIT and also at Berkeley. Uh, they have over 100 patents, uh, doing very, very extremely technical things that uh, combine physics and uh, computer technology and uh, and uh, at optics because there are photoelectronics in there. It's 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 massively complex. Um, and uh, we met them uh, over four years ago. Uh, they were just coming back uh, out of their uh, startup accelerator, uh, and uh, there was a, a one-year program where you know they were scientists from their lab going through that program to become a, a company, an entrepreneur. And we we met the, the one of the co-founder there who was uh, running the company at the time, fantastic individual on top of the technology with with great ambition, but in a market that's phenomenally uh, uh, complex and 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 impossible to. To, to get into. Uh, and uh, uh, it was too early for us. It was a series A at the time. We couldn't uh, invest. Uh, but uh, she uh, she used the money to uh, hire uh, a CEO, uh, which is always something really hard. You know, when you're founder of such a big, uh, you know, complex company for so, such a long time uh, and uh, and hiring a, a professional CEO to take over and, and you will lose control of, of on your baby. That's a very, very hard thing to do. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, fail to do that. Uh, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it, it doesn't. Uh, and she hired a fantastic CEO uh, who is really a, a best in class. He, he came from Intel and, and he's really, really solid uh, a guy who brought uh, uh, his own team of professional CFO and COO and, and, and whatnot. Uh, and that you know, completely took the company to the next level. It takes courage to do that. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't always work. Uh, I've had some negative experience hiring professional CEO that, that really don't understand the business and the company and, and, and destroy it. Uh, but that was a massive success. And uh, we, uh, we uh, this year uh, invested into their Series C. We're very proud of that and, and happy of that. And that's a good example of, of an entrepreneur that worked really hard, uh, uh, was extremely talented, extremely smart, has a lot of skills, uh, but uh, understood that the best way for a company to succeed was to bring even better person that she is. And that's maybe the best quality you can hope from, a, and that's very hard from an entrepreneur, is you want people to hire people who are better than they are. Uh, and a lot of people are not comfortable. It's more comfortable to hire people who are not as good as you are because you, you can control them and, and you do better than they do. Uh, but that's typically a, a recipe for failure. You want to hire the best people and you want to hire people who are better than you are who are going to challenge you uh, every uh, step on the way. But of course, you have to trust them. You have to trust that you know they're they're challenging you for the good cause, not you know to to play politics or or, or go uh, in a different direction. I love it. Great story, and I love hearing a story that has some change to it and has somebody succeed, but also bring in a strong team above them. Uh, I've seen that a few times, and you're right. Not always it doesn't always work, but in this case, uh, I think strategically they found the right fit. And uh, they're now taken off like a rocket ship and hopefully they have continued success. But it sounds like the founder really understood the, the product, the market and the, the best fit for them to move forward. So great story. Totally. Yeah. 
Okay, now we're going to jump into rapid fire questions. So the way this works, business and personal. Business side, pick one or the other coming in it coming from uh, obviously the investor uh, lens. So we'll get started. Ready? All right. Yeah. Okay. Founder or co-founder? Founder. Unicorn or a four-year 10x exit? A unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. NFT or Web 3.0? Web 3.0. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? Second, third time founder. First money in or series A? Well, series B or C. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, yes. Board seat or observer seat? Uh, Board seat. Safe or convertible note? Um, Safe. Lead or follow? Um, lead equity or interest payments equity favorite part of investing uh, is that a binary question <laughs> correct yes you can you can uh, throw some dialogue behind it uh, so I get for it uh, part of investing it's question uh, uh, working with entrepreneurs on strategy okay number of companies invested per year so, sorry so again I got to distraction uh, number of companies invested per year? Uh, five. Preferred terms? Nothing special, standard, industry standard. You mentioned the verticals of focus, but one last time, just the ver- verticals that you guys focus on for investments? Everything around energy transition. Two qualities a startup needs to stand out for you guys? Um, Again, being uh, really round around the edges, showing that they uh, understand uh, the, the challenges, the, the risks, and uh, have uh, good uh, plans uh, about all of those. Love it. Good plans are key. Yeah. First, uh, personal questions. All right. Book or movie? <laughs> A book. Superman or Batman? Batman. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Uh, Oprah. Mountain or beach? Mountain. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or chicken McNuggets? Uh, Big Mac. (laughs) Trophy or money? Um, Money. Beer or wine? Beer. Camera or mobile phone? Mobile phone. King or rich? Uh, rich concert or amusement park concert fortune cookie or birthday cake birthday cake TED talk or book reading book reading most famous person that pops in your mind uh, Obama favorite book June I don't know that one June yeah maybe it's my accent D-U-N-E Dune Oh, Dune. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. All right. Fair enough. Uh, That's a good one. Okay. Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Uh, Favorite movie, uh, What's Upon a Time in America. And uh, what characters, all characters have terrible lives. So uh, (laughs) there's no good character in that. Um, uh, But uh, the... Uh, probably uh, Robert De Niro as the the most interesting and closer character, even though he's a failure in the movie. Okay, I gotta watch that. I don't. I can't remember if I've seen it or not. 
Okay. It's a fantastic Frozen. movie. Long movie. Take the long edition. It's three hours and a half. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, all right. Next question. First brand that pops in your mind. Uh, Nike. Okay. Favorite sports team. Uh, really, I don't have any. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. That's okay. We, we won't told that when it gets you. Not everybody's a sports watcher. Um, I will say from the France side of things, they do have a great football club. I uh, did watch a few of the games there and uh, a big fan. So Paris Saint-Germain. Um, All right. Favorite app you're using on your mobile phone? Uh, medium. Medium. Oh, yeah, that's good. Very good for uh, for reading. Love it. Yep. We're getting close. What is the meaning of success to you? Making an impact. I like that. Making an impact. Brilliant. What is your superpower? Listening. I would, I, I would concur that you have a very strong listening from my learning experience, but I also think you have a very good way of breaking between different sides of the business, which means that very few people can understand tech and understand the, yes. the philosophies and drive of business. So I would say you're very good at interpreting multiple languages and helping people get to a, the end result, which was to your point about helping people with strategy. I think when you can understand really how code works and how the business works off of that, I think that really does help you kind of scale a business and better understand the environment you're in as well. Yeah, thanks. That's a better answer. I take that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, either way, I think, uh, Jacques, we're at our time. We, uh, we blasted through all of that. It's been amazing to get to dive in and learn more about yourself today. And the way we like to end our show is that we want to give you the last word and we would love for you to share any insights to uh, the community from the investors to the startups, anything that you want to share that can really uh, help them uh, move their business forward. I turn it over to you, but again, thank you very much for all your time today. Well, thanks a lot. I had a great time as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we, we really love uh, working with entrepreneurs. Uh, for us, it's uh, of course about making money, uh, but just not that. Uh, we also want to bring value, helping companies grow uh, and have an impact. These are really the things that uh, we ma matter the most for us. And uh, as we talked about, uh, you know, if, if there's one thing I learned, uh, and it's, uh, it's a paradox, but as entrepreneur, you want to be uh, uh, to be ready for, for what you cannot be ready for. You know, be ready for the unpredictable. And it's a mission impossible, but that's, that's the mission that you have as an entrepreneur. I love that line, mission impossible. Be ready for uh, the unknowns. Uh, again, Jacques, thank you very much for your, day, thank for your you, time Jeffrey. today. Have a great thank day. You. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay, that was fantastic. Jacques really uh, opened a lot up there, shared a lot of great details around uh, how he got into this space, the startups that he worked on, and all the great things that he did. And I think that uh, really, you know, even though he break down what it was taking to be a VC and coming in at a Series C, uh, you know, I think a lot of the things that they look for are the same things that we have to look for at every stage, and that is – you know, on the market side, what is where are they fitting in on the market side, sharing and showing their weaknesses on the product tech, you know, how great that is. Can they defend their IP on the finance? How healthy is the financial side of their business? And then the biggest number one that you look at from day one, which is going to change all the way through to Series C, which is the team and how strong is that team and how well are they going to be able to adapt and grow and, and be that uh, driver be behind the scaling of your business? Uh, again, lots of great details. Thank you again for all of that. And 
wow, what a what a change when you've got to go through three global crises in the world uh, to keep your business running. So great stories again from that. So thank you everybody for joining us today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a fantastic day.